Hi everyone. Today I'm going to be talking to Lily. She's also in my program. It's the Masters of History of Design and Curatorial Studies with Parsons and Cooper Hewitt. We've had a few other people on, so today she's going to be t- talking about Florence Knoll. Do you want to like kind of intro that? Sure. Um, so I had, did a lot of research on the architect and designer Florence Knoll, who um, was born in 1917, so at the early part of the 20th century, and she has been become really well known now for her work doing sort of office interiors, which at the time was super rare since she's a woman in the mid-century. So yeah, that's kind of the early intro for her. Yeah, so exciting. And it's cool because some people who are listening who are interior designers are probably also familiar with the name because um, Null Textiles and Null Lux are two lines that a lot of people use for contract work. So that's really interesting. Totally. And even now, still Noel is like a like popular furniture company is still like producing the furniture that she helped sort of design. And also like one of the things that was amazing about her was she was one of the first people. So she was married to Hans Noel, which is where the name comes from. And she um, helped him build his furniture business. And she sort of, because she was a designer and came from that background, she came up with the idea for sort of, paying the original designers royalties for the actual furniture so that that way they could sort of license their furniture design so that's the way they're still making like the Mies van der Rohe chairs and things like that is because they like got the licensing for them so she was like really smart in that way and sort of like both paying the designers directly so they would want to give their designs and then also like having something that would be more permanent. That's awesome that's so cool and are there for anyone who maybe doesn't know the signature ones, it's the Mies van der Rohe chair. Is that the Barcelona chair? Yeah, the Barcelona chair. She worked with the Saarinens. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot. And then, which they're known for, like, their pedestal table mainly. And um, he did a label of buildings to architecture. And then the Bertoia chair, which is kind oh, yeah. of like the wired chair that's really popular. And... I mean, there's so many there things. So many yeah, ones. it's insane. And they did a lot with, like, George Nakashima did stuff with them, too, and Noguchi. So they really worked with everyone, like, from that period, like, 1950s. They kind of had, other than the Eames, since they were with Herman Miller. So they were, like, the East Coast version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or she was. Yeah. That's awesome. So what class did you research all of this for? Um, it was for a class called Fashion, Architecture, and Interiors, and... Um, it was great because I didn't really touch that much on the fashion aspect of the course, but looking at architecture of sort of office buildings and interior design for offices and um, kind of examining the trends for that because really before Florence Knoll, um, offices were really not considered interior spaces to be designed. They were just sort of like open spaces with this (laughs) and she really sort of championed this idea of actually designing the architecture and the space for specific functions and now I think we take that kind of stuff for granted like all of her sort of influences everywhere in every office but um she was really the first one to kind of even consider that type of um like workspace so how did that evolve from her husband's company to like how she got directly involved. So she went to, she has a really interesting story. So she was born yeah, in 1917 and then she um, went to Cranbrook, which is a famous art school in 
Michigan, I want to say, um, in the Midwest. And because her, her father died when she was young and her mother died too. And so she went like her sort of guardian sent her boarding school and she was really interested in art. So she was there. And while she was there, it was right after the Sarnins moved from Europe. And so Loya, I think is how you pronounce her name, but the wife of Eliel Sarnin, um, she was involved with textiles and he was running the school and she was in class with Aero Sarnin together and the more famous architect now. And so she, um, kind of stood out and they actually like took her under their wing and she ended up like going on family vacations with them. And she like was a member of their family. And I think that was really, um, crucial for her success, I think, because they introduced her to a lot of people from Europe, like from the Bauhaus. And I think as a woman, I'm not sure she would have been able to like get that kind of recognition otherwise. But so she finished school. She then went to school in Europe for a bit and she was studying as a designer and an architect And she went to architecture school in Europe, but then she had to leave um, because of the outbreak of the World War II. So she came back to the States and she was like working with Walter Gropius for a bit. And then she um, met Hans Knoll in New York when she was working for another firm. But she was basically just involved with doing interiors at the firm, as most women were. She wasn't really involved with the architecture. And then she met her husband. He was already running a furniture company. And so she joined and... She founded this thing called the Planning Unit, which was a group of um, designers and architects, and she sort of ran that, and they were in charge of designing all the interiors. And she, it was really smart because she sort of offered that design service as part of the furniture company, so they could kind of put their furniture then in the spaces, which people I don't think were really doing at that point. Like, interior designers weren't necessarily, like, part of the actual companies. They were kind of, like their own entities. So it was an interesting sort of way of doing it. And she was very clear that she was not a decorator. She did not like that term. (laughs) She was like very, I think wanted to like establish herself as a very like serious designer and architect since she had that training. So it's definitely interesting to like notice the differences between her and some of the other like female interior designers at the time. Yeah. Who else was during her time was like Dorothy Hamill, I think is that and more sort of like, domestic interior she was really the only one doing like corporate interiors and although she like was married to Hans Knoll like he wasn't involved with design at all he was like a businessman and it was a family business so compared to like Ray Eames and Charles Eames who were sort of a were a design couple she was much like Ray Eames doesn't really get any recognition for it and they're known as like a duo designer like group but Florence Knoll really was kind of running her own thing and was like in head of the company yeah, that's really interesting. At the yeah. So what happened in, like, the later years? Did she stay on until she passed away or what? No, so her, uh, Hansel actually died, like, in a car accident oh. in the 50s. Um, so shortly after she joined, like, 10 years after she joined the company. So they were only there together. Yeah, she was only married to him for about 12 years or something. And um, But she stayed on, and then she was, like, really running the company. And then she met... Um, so she was working on big bank projects, like all over, like some in Connecticut, doing all of the showrooms and um, like all of the um, advertising and just really ran the whole thing and like was the creative vision. And then she met this guy um, whose last name is Bassett. I'm forgetting his first name, but um, and he 
she met him on a project. He was a corporate guy in Florida and she ended up moving to Florida and kind of like retreated from design and really didn't do much. So she only really designed for like 20, like from between like 1945 and 1965. Wow. And then she died in the nineties. So she like had a really sort of, I think she was doing sort of small interior projects mm-hmm. in Florida, but nothing really on a professional level and she really retreated. It's so interesting because she had like worked so hard to establish this kind of like empire and she was totally successful. And I think she just kind of maybe tired of it. I don't know. It's like, it wasn't totally clear like why she did all of her um, papers and things like that. And archives are actually online. You can look at them. And so they're like, they're like the Florence and Bassett papers and they're part of the Smithsonian online. So anyone can look at them. You don't need um, like student or access so any listeners are yeah. interested and want to take a look, it's yeah. worth checking out. And um, they, she has, like, all of her correspondence and things like that. It's really cool. It's all scanned. So um, I tried to, like, see what was there, but it seems like she was involved with putting it together. So I can imagine that maybe, like, she didn't really want to, like, it, like, it seems like it's kind of, like, not entirely clear why she left. Yeah. Even though she's, like, it's really amazing because it has, like, her early drawings and early photographs. And it's really cool to see. Wow, that's really interesting. I'll put the link on that on the website. Yeah. So people can Take access that. Yeah, that's really neat. It's really fun. It's, made, it's really fun to look at it and see who she was, like, writing letters to. Because yeah. there's, like, other people in the field that she was, like, close with friends. Like, she's... She writes a lot with Philip Johnson and other, yeah. and it's just kind of fun to see people's correspondence and people drawing her pictures. It's just fun to see. Yeah, that's really cool. And I bet you get like an idea of like what her voice would have been like. Like when people write letters, I feel like it's really personal, like how they actually talk. Totally. Yeah. And like I feel like through people's drawing style and the way that they work, you can see kind of like how involved she really was with the vision and like even though she had a lot of collaborators and um, she always like stressed that she was part of this unit, it's definitely clear that she like had an idea for what she wanted these interiors to be. Um, And it's really interesting too, because as far as her like origin story and her relationships, like the Sardinans and things like that, like that really comes through in like the Mm -hmm. letters and stuff, which is like, which is neat because you, that's the kind of stuff that usually sort of falls away when you're writing more academic or people are doing more monographs. It's like what you get kind of like both a personal and professional, um, feel for her. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. So does she have any kids? No. Wow. Yeah. That's like so interesting that Mm -hmm. she was like really like a professional woman and I know it's so crazy because she just like was so unusual. There was just no one else like that at that time. And honestly, like even over the next like 20 years, like there's just very few women who were involved with that type of corporate design and Mm -hmm. stayed true to that and did not want to sort of move into domestic or work. Yeah. Yeah. That's really neat. Mm -hmm. So how did, how did you end the paper then? Like, did her career just sort of abruptly end or was it more like she passed on the reins to someone else who was underneath her? Like- yeah. So the, the like Noel continued, the planning unit continued. Um, for my paper, I was sort of interested in the way that, um, sort of, so I actually used some films to like sort of contextualize the interiors and kind of examine the sort of working woman. Cause I was curious as to like, 
who were in these offices that she was building, where is it just men? And also, like, how was the, in the mid-century post-war was, like, most women were still known for being housewives, mm-hmm. and it was kind of the prime time of the, like, domestic woman. So, um, but there were still kind of these early films and early, like, women who were professionals and, like, secretaries and things like that. And there were a few films from the time that kind of showed that. And also, like, um, movies that kind of highlighted the idea of, like, modernism. Because she was definitely had, like, this modern aesthetic. And she came from a Bauhaus sort of yeah. um, academic introduction. So you can definitely see that in her sort of ideology about space and things like that. And um, as you can like, from the 30s and the Art Deco and things like that. So she was part of that movement. So to see her as, like, a woman in that modern movement was kind of what I was interested in. Um, but, um, yeah, and how she sort of reconciled her, like, different personas and the things that she was dealing with, both as, like, as a wife, as a woman, and, like, as a professional and a designer and, um, Yeah. What films did you focus on? Um, So there were two movies that I focused on. The first one was um, a movie. I'm just getting the date right now. Um, It's called Executive Suite from 1954. And it's actually pretty strange to watch now. It's, um, It's clearly based on, like, some version of Charles Eames. And it's about this sort of um, furniture company outside of Philadelphia that is struggling and it's not doing so well. And um, it has sort of like antique type furniture. And there's a young architect and designer who wants to like make cheaper modern furniture. And he struggles with the board to sort of let him do it. And he wants to take over the company and they refuse to sort of make those changes and because they're sort of stuck in their ways and it's pretty funny because actually the 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 director and the um filmmaker did a really good job with um set design because it's really funny like the the furniture company's office is this like very gothic dark like heavy boardroom and then you go to his house which is like sort of this typical modern like the Eames chairs and the George Nelson lamp and the whole thing. And so there was that movie, which was interesting um, just to kind of see how like that. And that was in 1954, which to me is pretty early for that to be so like explicit in a film since they really were like only working kind of like in that time, like forties. So um, yeah, that was the first movie and it's very explicit as far as it's like messaging and ideology. <laughs> it's not subtle at all. Um, And then the second movie that I did was this movie called The Best of Everything with, it stars Joan Crawford, actually. And it um, is a little bit later. It's from the 60s. But um, it is about these sort of like, it kind of is like a precursor to Sex in the City, I think, is how they like, in retrospect, are looking at it. But about these women who work at this magazine book public like a book publishing house and it's actually their office in the Seagram building in um on 52nd street designed by um Philip Johnson and their interior is basically a copy like copy exact a replica of a Florence Knoll interior it has like her sort of the cut the primary colors that she was known for and the sort of 
iron framework. And um, it's really interesting to see their home because they're, they all live in this apartment together. And it's very like kind of frumpy and frilly and <laughs> not modern at all. So that juxtaposition between the offices um, and the interior spaces, I mean, the domestic interiors was really interesting and to see how their personalities kind of like wove in and out of that. They definitely were not um, very successful in their professional careers <laughs> and <laughs> the film wasn't, Joan Crawford plays their boss and she's kind of this like sad, like sort of um, an emotional single older woman who's like sort of dedicated her life to work and this oh. kind of like, you know, she's sort of like a warning for the young women not to be these, like, they're all trying to like get married the whole time. So it's not, it doesn't age yeah. that well, but yeah. um, it's interesting for the design. Um, so yeah, it's just like, there's so much in that period, like as far as the role of women and just the domesticity and how they were like being sort of portrayed both in film and other types of media. So it was a great like paper to work on just because of like that sort of like diverse material. Yeah. It feels like there's a lot of different ways that you could talk about her in terms of like gender, but then also like just architecture in general. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She just has like, there's really so much to like delve into. And also like even Noel itself, like after she left, a few of like Massimo Vignelli was really responsible for like many of the like graphics and sort of the advertising. And so it definitely like, even without her there, like her, the legacy and like their standard for really like mm-hmm. the top designers and like, um, architects remained on even after she left. So, um, it was pretty like amazing that she was able to sort of like cultivate that environment and have it last even when she wasn't there. Yeah. And have it still continue. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's insane. Yeah. And I was like, I passed by like one of the offices on, um, six all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Cause it has the same feel too. Like the textures are still the same on the fabric. I think where they're like, woven and very textural and like I don't think they've changed anything like maybe like the type of machine I don't even know if like the different like machines are different that makes them like maybe some of the like more heavy duty furniture but probably the fabrics are like almost identical yeah I think they probably just put like that Krypton finish on some of them now like everyone has that now that's office stuff but that's it's interesting to go in there because it's they didn't just give in to what is everyone's doing now like they really stick to sort of the ideal of like what Noel is I think that's really cool yeah it's funny she like towards the end of her career when she was working I think she felt a lot of people were copying her she was like you know now you walk into every office and they have like a Barcelona chair which (laughs) is true and so it's funny that even she kind of liked I think maybe that was it too she's sort of tired of these projects and um Aero Saarinen who she worked on with her last project, the architect, she designed the CBS offices with him and he died also like after that, right. Kind of close to when her husband died. And so I think a lot of these people that she had sort of like cultivated a relationship with, and she was close to these Vander, like a lot of them, I think in the design industry were like passed away or retired. And so I personally think that maybe that might also be why she left. Like she just didn't feel like as much like creative, like inspiration maybe, or like, I don't know. 
at least that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, it's valid when like a couple of your friends die. Yeah, exactly. she with you, you're gonna be yeah. kind of bummed out. I mean, Aristarchus is like basically her brother, and then like her husband, and then like yeah. I mean, if they're all like not really around, and I think also too like people by the time that she was done, yeah, like people weren't as interested in this sort of modern aesthetic. There was kind of like yeah. postmodernism was beginning, and. So I think they don't definitely don't think that she was willing to go in that sort of direction. No. <laughs> it doesn't really suit her sort of formal, like, um, functional ideas of no. space. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> maybe she saw, like, all the like, postmodernism around her and was like, a moon of Florida. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. That's cool. It'd be interesting and then look like dig deeper but I mean I guess it's hard when you don't have children to dig deeper because it's like who did she you know then talk to or like who still has her stuff well that's why I think it's like so amazing that like her arc like I don't think I would have been able to do as much as I did without like her archives and stuff being available because like she was kind of an enigma in that way like and so it really gave me sort of like more than just her professional and her architecture, like, I got a better sense of more of what she was doing and kind of, like, how it sort of progressed. But, yeah, she had a very, like, intense short career considering how long she lived. Yeah, that is really interesting. That's not really typical. I don't think so. I mean, I would guess that, like, I've been working on this other project um, about another sort of important female designer who I had never heard of before, um, Alonka Karaz, um, who is like a whole nother topic, but, um, and so, and she like was also super prolific and her career was like 60 years or something. And so like she established herself and she was basically like successful the entire time. And, um, yeah, I would think that like once you go, like once you break through and you're really the only woman and you just work so hard to get to that point, you would think that you would want to like sort of sustain that more, but I guess she really accomplished a lot in a short time. So yeah, she did. yeah. That's awesome. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but was there any like random fact that you found out while you were doing this or anything like that really stuck out to you? It's interesting that like you didn't like expect to find or Yeah, I mean I didn't really um like I didn't really I like knew about her before I started this project and I was familiar with like her work, but I definitely wasn't aware of, like, her origin story and kind of, like, how unusual that was and how that came from luck. And she worked, she studied with Mies van der Rohe for a couple of years in Illinois. And um, one of my favorite anecdotes about them was that they would get tea together and, like, discuss, um, like, architecture. And he would, like, take her out to tea. <laughs> and she, awesome. Yeah, in, like, in Chicago. So that was, like, a fun fact that I, like, loved about, like, her. And I can just, like, imagine the two sort of just, like, talking about furniture or something over tea. That's so fun. Like, as a college student. Yeah. (laughs) That would be the life. I know. She was so, like, she was... And then, like, when she was in Europe, she was, like, like, introduced to Oliver Alto and, like, would go to his house. Like, she just, like, literally had the hookup with, like, everyone and, like, worked with, like, Walter Gropius in Boston. I was just, like, she literally was with... She was everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) She saw all. Yeah. And so, like, that was probably the most surprising. I had no idea that she was involved with all these different people, like, so early. Basically, like, before her career started. Yeah, (laughs) that's crazy. And on such an intimate level, too. It's not like she just worked, like... Right. Like, to go get tea with someone, I feel like you... 
have a relationship with them beyond, like, just the classroom. No, and, like, all of her letters, like, with the Saarinans, like, the parent, like, Elgil and Loya, like, they, like, write to her as if, like, they're, she's their child. Like, it's very clear that they had, like, a very intimate relationship, like, writing about when she got married and, like, all these different things. And so, um, yeah, it's, like, so unusual that they have that. And she was pretty close to Philip Johnson, too, I, like sort of gathered through the letters like because yeah. they didn't really work on any projects together like that I know of or at least explicitly but they corresponded a lot which maybe could, since he was at the MoMA or I'm not really sure I mean he was doing his own thing so yeah maybe just in the scene in the New York architecture yeah. scene <laughs> he's really interesting too I know I don't actually know that much about him like as a person but I love like the glass house I love if you have been and Connecticut it's like amazing so. oh that's so cool yeah you can go we should go this summer actually yeah that would be cool yeah they usually have like an exhibition there too so oh my gosh that's so neat yeah you can just for anyone you can just get a yeah. like ticket and go and walk around and like it's just it's really nice on oh. like a nice day yeah awesome yeah I'll put that link on the website too just so people don't have to search I mean, it yeah Google. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right well thanks so much for doing the podcast yeah was no this awesome was fun Yeah, we'll have to do another one. Yeah, for sure. Okay, good. All right, thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.